seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And let me just add this verse here. Put on then, verse 5, put off, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can we remain standing for prayer? Would you bow with me? Let's even take a brief moment for silent prayer. Our Father in heaven, indeed, we do pray, hallowed be your name. Let your name be set apart as holy. We pray even now, O Lord, that you would search us and know our hearts. You know all things. Lord, would you open your word to us? Search us through your word and expose our sin, expose our self-reliance, expose our religion that is not true religion. Lord, we pray, let us not miss Christ. What a shame it would be in this book of Colossians to in any way miss Christ. Help us, Lord, that even as we think of those uh, Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, that we might be truly happy, that we might be truly blessed in you. And we pray that you would lead us in this time. We thank you for the privilege and joy as we anticipate the ordinance that you have given us, Lord Jesus, the Lord's Supper. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Therefore, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's uh, the New American Standard Version. Look at this in the ESV is where I'm reading. We're glad you're here. If you have a different translation, that's great. It's fine. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I've said already, this is kind of... This is kind of the key. There's a lot, you know, 2.16 to 3.11. I told you our text, 2.16 to 3.11. Uh, the title, again, set your mind on things above. The, the big idea, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. But we 
kind of want to zero in on these verses. Colossians 3.1. Would you look at it with me? Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. That's Psalm 110, by the way. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For, Colossians 3, 3, for you have died and your life, Christian, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who, who what? Who is your life? appears, then, as if to say not now, then you also will appear with him in glory. I don't know if we have any, um, I think the word is Anglophile. I don't know if we have any Anglophiles here this morning. Uh, Those who love uh, the British culture, those who love England, Britain, and all things English, Maybe you follow the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, or maybe you don't. Maybe you've heard, as I have, that uh, even though I, I think technically, I think there is supposed to be uh, a pretty strong connection between the monarchy and, uh, and the Church of England, so that they're not supposed to be separate. They're supposed to be, in one sense, a Christian monarch, a Christian king, or a Christian queen, And so maybe you've heard that uh, England currently and has for many decades had a Christian queen who it seems may be a Christian more than just in name. You do know, my friend, right, that there are many Christians, sadly to say, in name only. But it seems, and I I get these letters from Alistair Begg, who's a pastor in Cleveland. Uh, He himself is a citizen of Queen Elizabeth. So I get these letters, and he shares this about her faith. So he's speaking about uh, the fact that it seems like her faith is, in fact, genuine in Jesus Christ. He says, The queen has lived successfully in the public eye for 70 years, causing us to wonder at the source of her strength. The Christian Institute reported this. In an article for Parliament News, Lord Michael Farmer credited the queen's faithfulness How how does she do this for 70 years in the public eye? Here's what this guy says. The reason she's faithful is because of her position, or she's faithful to her position and constancy in public life is because of her devotion to God. The answer lies in her continuous confession of her trust and reliance on Jesus as her Savior and God her Father. I thought this was interesting. There is only one person she addresses as your majesty, and that is Jesus, who is king of kings and lord of lords. She is the queen who has a king. Her identity, like all who trust in Jesus, flows not from wealth or social status, but from her union with Christ. Her identity like all who trust in Jesus, like all who trust in Jesus, flows not from her status or her wealth or her social standing, but from what? 
We pray that this is true, that Queen Elizabeth's identity flows from where? From her union with Christ. From the fact that she is intimately, and I ask, are you this morning, are you intimately related to the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul's concerned about this in this letter that we call Colossians. I want to say to you this morning, I want to say to you that there is a logic to the gospel. Listen to me. There is a logic to the gospel. Theologians say that there are indicatives and imperatives, which is just to say that there are things that are true, and then there are things that we as believers do in light of the things that are true about us. Listen carefully. True or false? The gospel says, do this and you will live. No, no, no. No, that's not right. The law says, do this and you will live. The gospel says, let me remind you, my beloved Crossway, the gospel says, it is done and now rest in the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not do, but done. There is a logic to the gospel. And if I mean nothing else when I say that, there's a logic to the gospel. If nothing else, then please just get this. There must be an order between those two words, done and do. It's not good news this morning if I stand up here and my message is only or even primarily, do. And that's great because that's not the Christian gospel. That's not the good news that is found in Messiah Jesus. Messiah Jesus is the Savior of his chosen people, Israel. He is the Savior of the world. Let's do two things this morning. As we think about the logic of the gospel, let's do two things. Secondly, Second thing we want to do is we want to think about do. We want to think about what are we commanded? What are we as believers commanded or called to do? But only in light of number one. Only in light of number one. And that is what God has done for us in Christ. Number one, what God has done for us through Christ. Number two, On the basis of that, what does God call us to do? Let's see this here in Colossians. So first of all, what has God done for us through Christ? If you're a believer here this morning, think about this question. We are going to be coming in a little bit. We're going to be coming to the cracker that represents Christ's body broken for us. We're going to be coming to the cup which represents the blood of Christ, the blood of the new covenant shed for sinners. And so we should ask this question, what is it that God has done for us as believers? And if that's not you this morning, then we are glad that you're here. Some, what I'm about to, to teach from the word of God, these things that I'm about to number four or five of them that God has done for us, these things are not true of you, but let me assure you 
Let me assure you that these things are true of everyone who repents of their sins and turns to God through Jesus Christ, through the cross and through the grace that is in Jesus. There is more than enough grace in Jesus and in his cross. That's what we remember this morning is the cross of Christ. Heading number one of those two headings, what has God done for us through Christ? Or you could ask it like this, what is true of us as believers? Are you ready to look at these? Let's look at them fairly quickly. What is true of us as believers? What's our position? Number one, we have been raised with Christ. Look at verse one of chapter three. What does Paul say there? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. If we ask the question, what is true of us as believers? The first answer here given to us is that we have been raised with Christ. We are raised with him. Notice in verse one again, it says, if then, but to be sure what Paul means is not a hypothetical. In other words, Paul doesn't write to the Colossians here and he's saying, this may be true, this may be not. What he's saying when he says, if then, is he's basically saying, since then. He's writing to believers. He's writing to those who know God. So since this is true, if then you have been raised with Christ and you have, therefore, seek the things that are above. Look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 13. And let me just remind us of that most basic thing that we are not here talking about things that we do or things that we have done. These are not things that we have accomplished. In one sense, there's th- there are things that we didn't have anything to do with. Chapter 2, verse 13, notice what it says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you, Colossians, you prayed the sinner's prayer. You walked the aisle. No, that's not what it says. It says God made alive together with him. Did you see that? Who is the author of salvation? If you're a Christian this morning, who is the author of your salvation? Is God. We were dead. But God, middle of verse 13, God made alive together with him, with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Colossians 2.13 says God made us alive together with Christ. What is true of us as believers? We have been raised with Christ. Flip back to Mark chapter 16. Keep your place in Colossians. Go to Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, verse 1, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices, Mark 16, 1, so that they might go and anoint him. 
And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. What do we have here in Mark 16, verses 1 through 8? Well, we have the fact of the resurrection, right? You could summarize Mark 16, 1 through 8, and you could summarize it like this by just saying Christ has been raised. And I simply want to make the point with Mark 16 and with the rest of the New Testament that we believers, if you're a believer here this morning, we have been raised with Christ. The resurrection of Jesus, we're pretty far away from Easter Sunday, but Mark 16 tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead in real history. Mark 16 tells us that it's the pledge of our bodily resurrection. Believers will be raised bodily on the last day. And the New Testament also teaches that we are raised now. We don't, we don't understand all of this. It's, it's a mystery in many ways and in many senses, but we are raised with Christ. That's not the only thing. Back in Colossians 3, not only have we been raised with Christ, Colossians 3.1, Colossians 2.13, we have died with Christ. I'm just taking these in order. Look at verse 3, Colossians 3.3. 3. What is true of us as believers? What has God done for us in Christ? The second thing that he's done for us, verse 3 of Colossians 3, you have died. We have died. Look back at verse 20 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 20. Verse 20a if with Christ you died, we have been raised. We have died. Of course, of course, the order of that, right? Think with me here. Of course, the order for Jesus Christ, who is the head, he is the head of the body, he is the leader, he is the author, he is the savior. The order of things, of course, is that he died and was buried and he rose and he ascended. But I think there's something to taking it to the order of the text here. The order that Paul gives it in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we've been raised with Christ. Uh, it's been said like this before, New Testament ethics, which is how we should live as believers, the way we should live as believers is rooted squarely in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is by no means just something for Easter. The resurrection is what propels the Christian to live the new life in Christ. Oh, and by the way, we've died with Christ. So uh, many of you know, of course, that it is our custom in uh, what we call membership interviews. When people are coming into membership, not only do we shine a bright halogen lamp on their forehead, and not only do we require them uh, to do a PT test and we examine their finances thoroughly, we do none of that. But we do ask and we do talk about the gospel. And so let me just remind you of the gospel very quickly in, the, in one of its most... Uh, 
summary forms. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Listen, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Christ died on the cross there was a meaning to his death. Colossians 3, 6, he was bearing the wrath of God on the cross for everyone who would ever believe in all of human history. There was a meaning to the cross. He died for us. Uh, Galatians 2, 20. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul wants to say in, the, in essence to the Colossians, listen, my fellow Crossway member, Paul wants to say, you Colossians were dead in sin. Now, because of Jesus' resurrection, I want you to be dead to sin. You were dead in sin. Now you have the power at your disposal through Jesus Christ and through union with Christ to live dead to sin. Because if you live alive to sin, if you live a life that is mainly alive to sin, You're a slave to sin, and you're not a Christian. That does not mean that Christians don't struggle mightily with sin. Oh, we do. Oh, to be free of sin. And one thing that I think about is not only to be free of sin, but to be free, I think as one of the hymns says, to be free of self and sin. That's my problem, is that I sin daily. And then I think about myself, to be free of self and sin. Okay, what what are we doing here? Number one, again, what's our position as believers? What, What has God done for us? He's raised us from the dead. We were dead in sin. Second thing, we have died with Christ. Those are the two main things can't spend much time on these other things, but let me just say there's, there's actually more. And if you're trekking with this at all, then I hope you're trekking with the glorious scripture that I try my best to do justice to. But if you're trekking with this, believer, you have been raised with Christ. You died with Christ. But there's, there's more. Verse 3 of Colossians 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's, that's why the Christian life can be hard. That's why it's inexplicable because your life is hidden. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, your life is what your life is. But if you are here this morning and you're a Christian, there is a, a, a secretness to your life. Colossians 3.3, 3. your life is hidden with Christ in God. And there's a fourth thing that we can't give time to, but you will appear. The hiddenness of verse 3, the hiddenness of your life will not stay that way. The hiddenness, the secret nature of your life will not stay that way. Your life will be revealed because Christ is our life. Because the Christian says, Jesus is my life. The cross of Christ is exactly what I need. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Before I move to heading number two, 
can I just stop for just a moment and say, what is this whole book of Colossians? What is this whole book of Colossians? What's the big picture? It's this, friends. Jesus is supreme. And for the believer, Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is supreme, and for the believer, Jesus is sufficient. Chapter 2, verse 9. I know we're bouncing around a lot, but would you go with me? Chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, look at it, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head. Jesus is the head. He is supreme of all rule and authority. Jesus is my life. I once was lost in darkest night and thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. But I beheld your love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath deserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. We've been raised with Christ. We've died with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. Man, that's, your life is hidden with Christ. You will appear with him in glory. Heading number two. Heading number two. So, so, so what do we do? I remember one pastor tells the story of how Americans, and I think he's mostly right. It's not to paint with too broad of a brush. But Americans, including sometimes Americans in the church, we just want to know what we can do. Just give me something practical. And so this is like 40 years ago. And so they had a brand new church, this particular pastor. And they had a brand new church. They didn't have a building. But then they were able to build this nice building. And they were able to raise the funds and do it. And then people started stopped, stopped coming because they had done something. And now, you know, we just want something to do. And, and, I, and I guess I just want to say, like the scripture plainly teaches, and I, and I personally, I don't have a lot of patience for those who would say, don't emphasize the do. The scripture is clear. There are commands for the people of God. There are things for us to do. If there are no grace-based works in your life, Christian, then the question arises, do you know Christ? If there's no transformation, if there is no transformation, so there are commands, but I want to say we do in light of done. And the logic of the gospel is all over this passage. So what does Paul, and ultimately, what does the Lord call us to do? What does he call us to do? You ready? And this is what I've already said. Answer number one, what does he call us as believers to do? Nothing in and of our own strength. Nothing in and of our own strength. So John 15, I think, would bear that out. Apart from me... You can do nothing. No, no, no. This heading is, what does the Lord call his people to do on the basis of grace? Nothing in and of our own strength. Number two, he calls us to believe the gospel. He calls you this morning, he calls us to believe the gospel. Listen to me, to keep believing, to walk by, this is the essence of the Christian life is faith and repentance. So look at chapter two, verse six. 
Chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Lord, help us to be a thankful people. But you notice, of course, what he says in verses 2 and verses 6 and 7. Believe the gospel. Keep believing. Walk by faith. Persevere. What does he call us to do? Nothing in and of our own strength. To believe the gospel and keep believing. Number three, pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. To pursue holiness, first of all, you have to care about holiness. Every true Christian cares about holiness because every true Christian says, Father, hallowed be your name. Holy Father. And intentionally, we're bouncing around again. Verse 5 of chapter 3, he calls us to pursue holiness. Verse 5 of chapter 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You cannot pursue holiness if you are not first holy. You have to be holy before you pursue holiness. And so we just, we just have no hope because you have to be holy before you pursue holiness. But there again, God does this. Verse 12 of chapter 3 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is who you are, Paul says. Christian, Christian, be who you are. Who are you? You are loved by God. You are holy. Now pursue holiness. Not because you don't have it, but because you do. You're chosen by God. You're set apart. You're sanctified. You're holy. Pursue holiness. Violently eradicate sin from your life. Romans chapter 8. Put it to death. Mortify sin. Take off the old filthy clothes. You are new. You are new. Live in accordance with your new nature according to the second Adam. You are either in Adam or you are in Adam. It's just a matter of if you're in the first Adam or the second Adam. Take off the old... Paul's using the imagery of clothing in 5 through 17. Take off the old clothes because, in fact, you have. And if you haven't, it just means you're not a Christian. If your life is dominated by sin, it means it's not dominated by righteousness. And Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He chose us. He sanctified us. Pursue holiness. My friend, my Christian, pursue holiness. Do you care about holiness? Pursue holiness. What does that look like? 5 through 17. 5 through 17, that's what it looks like. Grow in love. What do we do? What are we supposed to do? Well, number four, we're not supposed to be like the chief cupbearer, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer in Genesis chapter 40. Instead, we are to remember. We are to remember Colossians 3, 3, for you have died. Colossians 2, 20, 
if with Christ you died, remember what specifically? Remember that you have died with Christ. If, can I tell you the secret to the Christian life as I understand the Bible? We'll give you the secret to the Christian life. And just give me a, everybody just, I guess, give me a Benjamin after the service today. The secret to the Christian life as I understand Romans chapter 6 in the New Testament is this. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And by grace and by grace alone, we put our faith in God through Jesus Christ. We are united to Christ. And the secret to the Christian life is to remember that and to reckon yourself dead to sin. It's really complicated. No, it's not. To remember that you died with Christ, remember that you were dead in sin, and now through Christ you can be dead to sin. Remember, 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 and reckon. Reckon. Hey, hey, I I died with Christ. I'm alive with Christ. I am not who I used to be. Therefore, I do not have to be a slave to sin. I do not have to give in to sin. It will be a struggle. It will be a life and death struggle. But it does not have to be defeat because Christ is not defeated. Because Christ is alive. And as I said before, the ethics of the Christian life, what are we supposed to do? A lot, a lot. The ethics of the Christian life are rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's alive. He is alive. Are you alive in Christ? Are you alive in Christ? Remember, remember and reckon. Romans chapter 6, reckon yourself. Consider, there's another word, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christ, Christ, Christ. He is supreme over all. And he is sufficient for the believer. He is supreme and he is sufficient. You don't need anything else. You need Christ. And the final thing that we are to do, the final thing that we are to do, don't let anybody disqualify you. Chapter 2, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up with outreason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast. There it is. Here's what you're supposed to do, Colossians. Hold fast to the head. Hold fast to the head. What are we supposed to do as believers? Believe the gospel and keep going in the gospel. Pursue holiness Colossians 3, 5 through 17 has a lot to do with killing sin sexually. It's more than that. Oh, it's more than that. But he emphasizes that. To remember. To remember that Jesus died and that if you're a believer, you died with him. What does that mean? I can't tell you everything that means. You died with Christ. You rose with Christ. Let no one disqualify you, 2.16. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food. If you are around false teachers, if you're around false teachers who are telling you you need more than Christ, then you don't let them say that to you. Don't let them go there. You need Christ plus this. Shut up. No, I don't. I need Christ. Christ. I need Jesus Christ. I think I've shared with you before one of my favorite true stories as I read years ago in a MacArthur book. And if you've heard it, then just hear it again. I think I love it. 
It's the true story of the pastor who was speaking at various places in both North and South Carolina, and he had some good friends in Asheville. And so he decided to make that home base as he spoke in different places in the two states. So he's with his good friends in Asheville, and he spoke one night in Greenville, South Carolina, which of course is not extremely close to Asheville. And he spoke there one night telling his host home, his good friends, I'll be back maybe around midnight. Some kind people from Greenville drove him back to Asheville. They said, do you want us to wait till you get in? No, don't worry, don't wait. I've told them when I'm coming back, go on, you've got a long drive, just go back to Greenville, I'll be fine. He wasn't fine. He knocks on the door of his friends, of his host home. It's Asheville, it's dark, it's cold, it's close to midnight. And there's no answer to the door. As MacArthur tells the story, he knocks even louder. He knows they're asleep, but he continues to knock and there's no answer. And this is before cell phones And so eventually he's at a loss and he begins to walk and he walks actually a couple of miles, uh, at least two miles. He ends up at a motel where there is a phone and he calls his host and he says, "Uh, sorry to bother you. Uh, The story actually says he actually fell into two feet of water. He's freezing on his way to the motel. I'm sorry to bother you. I could not get you to open the door. I'm down here at the motel. Can you come and pick me up? To which his host replied, my friend, do you not remember? My friend, remember I gave you the key and you put it in your overcoat pocket. And sure enough, the pastor reaches in his coat pocket to find the key. And MacArthur so helpfully says, this is a clear illustration of what we do in our relationship with Christ. We look for so many other ways to access the blessing of God. So many other ways to access the blessing of God when like this man, we too have the key in our pocket the whole time. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you have the key. What is the key? The key is Christ and Christ crucified, folly to the world. But to us who believe, he is precious. And we have possession, so to speak, of the key the entire time. If he were, if he would have just used the key, what trouble he would have saved himself instead of devising all of these other ways. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me go here. What can I do? I can knock louder. I can go down to the motel. I can, I can observe the Sabbath more. I can follow Jewish dietary laws. I can go into a little of asceticism. I can even start to mutilate my body. I can fast more. I can do all of these things. And Paul says, Christ, 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 Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ, can I give you one final command? There are commands for the Christian. We are called to obedience, but his commands are not burdensome. What's the key command in all of this? I have bounced around to a lot of scriptures. You have been patient. What is the key command in all of this? I say that it is verse 2 of chapter 3. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And isn't it just like Paul, not to give a bare or a naked command, but to tether it, listen, to tether it to promise and grace. Three letters, one word, for, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The best For the Christian, the best is yet to come. But if you survey what God has already done for us, the present is pretty good as well. Let's pray together.
Father, may we honor you by going back again and again and again to our Savior, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we see and know in our experience and in our practice that Jesus is supreme and that he is sufficient for us. Father, we come even right now as a church body and we confess our sin to you. We confess there are sins that we have done that we should not have done. There are things that we should have done that we did not do. We confess that we sin daily. We confess anger, wrath, malice, slander. We confess obscene talk from our mouth. We confess, Father, would you help us to confess? We confess sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, greed, and we thank you, 1 John chapter 2, that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. Thank you for spreading this meal before us. Help us not in one sense, not in, help us not to work harder, but to remember all the more. Help us to live as new people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.